0: This week we are continuing our series in Acts, um, and before I jump into this week's text, I just want to give a little bit of pretext, um, a bit of background, because obviously a lot of you guys haven't been here for the previous weeks. So have you ever had one of those situations where, where you're a Christian and you're in a church and then someone, someone comes up to you and says, um, you know, I've, I've uh, noticed you've not, not been baptised. You know, you think you're a Christian, but unless you're baptized, you're not, not really a Christian, are you? And you go, oh, oh, well, maybe I'll get baptized. And then that's it, you're walking around thinking, well, that's it, I've been baptized now, believe in God, I'm the, the full deal, I'm the full Christian now. And then someone comes up to you a few weeks later and says, you know, you're not really a Christian unless you, you feel that freedom to wa- raise your hands in worship. You know, if you, if you stood down there like that, then you're bound, you're bound and you're not free. And then you, well, you go, oh, oh, okay, well, maybe I need to uh, raise my hands in worship then. Then I'll be the full deal. Then I'll be a proper Christian. Then I will be saved. Then someone comes up to you and maybe says, uh, you know, I, I've never heard you speaking in tongues. You know, if you haven't got the gifts of the Spirit, then you're not really saved, are you? And so you go away and you go, oh, well, you pray and, and before you know it, you're speaking in tongues. And I'm here to tell you, None of that stuff is what makes you saved. None of that stuff. Amen to that. Salvation is not a matter of of doing the right stuff. Uh, It's a matter of recognizing our sin and our need for a saviour. It's choosing to turn away from our sinful desires and trusting our life to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus who came down to be a man for our sake, to die for our sins, to live the perfect life that we could never live. And that through his blood, our, our debt of sin is paid once and for all. And when we accept that, we are Christians, we are saved. Now, if we go back in Acts a little bit, there was a group of people that were going round, telling Christians that they weren't really saved. There was a group called the Judaizers. There was a, a group of, of Jewish Christians who were saying, unless you have been circumcised and you follow, follow the law of Moses, you are not a real Christian. So, yeah, they were, they were saying that. And, and Paul and Barnabas, they knew the truth. They knew that salvation comes through grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. So Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to speak with the council there who ruled that the Gentiles did, in fact, not need to be circumcised, and that they were, only, they were not required to, to follow all of the Jewish law as the Jews were, except for a few certain food laws pertaining to idol worship and the direction to stay uh, clear of sexual immorality. Now, these basic rules were not to bind the Gentiles, but they were, in fact, making it possible for the Gentiles and the Jews to meet together, to eat together, to be together in unity. And this is where we pick up our story this morning. So, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Acts chapter 16, and we're reading in verses 1 to 5. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek, the believers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. And this is his second missionary trip he's talking about here. So he circumcised him, eh? He circum- We'll come back to that. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in number. Well, see Luke was the guy who wrote this book. Luke was one of the disciples. He was a a very educated man. He was a doctor, a historian and a theologian. He knew his stuff. So it's safe to say that even though there seems to be a lot of detail in here, it's all there for a reason. Even the confusing appearance of Paul going back on his own convictions by circumcising Timothy. And whilst you may be wondering what on earth this passage may have to do with you and your life, well, I think it contains four principles for Christian life and mission. So, principle number one. Discipleship is key. Luke gives us quite a lot of information about Timothy. Depending on which Bible scholar you listen to, Timothy was anywhere between 15 and 24 years old at this point. So it doesn't matter how young you are, you are never too young to be a disciple. Okay, I want want all the the small ears in the room to hear that. You can be a disciple. You can be a disciple. You can be a disciple. And so can all the older ears as well, just so we're clear. So at the age of just 15 to 24, somewhere around there, he'd already managed to become a well-known and respected believer in two major trade cities. And he'd done this in the three years since Paul had been there on his first mission trip. Timothy's name literally means honouring God. And it certainly seems that his name reflected his character. We learn that his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. And this was quite significant for Paul's ministry. You see, in the Jewish world, ethnic identity passed through the female line. So ethnically, because his mother was a Jew, he was a Jew. But in the Greek world, ethnicity was passed through the male line. So to the to the Gentiles, he was a Gentile. Much like Paul himself, Timothy was in an was unusually placed to have a voice into both communities. But as useful as this dual ethnicity may have been in opening doors for the gospel, it was not the primary reason that Paul chose Timothy to come along with him. You see, Timothy was the real deal. And this is why Luke describes him as a disciple. There's an old Jewish saying, and they say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. I like that saying. I think it illustrates the Jewish model of discipleship very well. The idea was that if you showed enough promise in your studies and and you found a teacher and then that teacher deemed you to be worthy, you could be selected as a disciple of that teacher. The implication was that if you walked where they walked and followed their religious teachings closely enough, then you might just become righteous enough to be truly saved. Christian discipleship is a little bit different. Thank goodness, because I'm not very good at following rules, as you will find out when I run over time. (laughs) Uh, Christian discipleship is a little different. Paul addresses this very issue in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? No. See, Christian discipleship is not about following special leaders. It's not about following a certain person. Paul did not take Timothy as his his disciple by recruiting him for that mission trip. He selected him because he was already a disciple of Christ. And the evidence of that was apparent in his life. How many of us can go to the next town over and have people know that we are disciples of Christ? How many people, could, I could walk out into town and say, do you know blah, 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 and they'll say, oh yes, the disciple of Christ. I, I can tell you now, not many people would know me. <laughs> and that is a challenge. But the beauty of the gospel is that you don't have to do anything to become a disciple of Christ. There's nothing you can do, there are no qualifications. You don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't need to be from a particular ethnic group. You don't need to come from a wealthy family or have any special skills. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past or what has been done to you in your past. Christian discipleship is about being released from your history and moving into your destiny. Your past is no longer what defines you, but the call of God on your life does. Christian discipleship is about joining with God on the journey into your destiny. In Philippians 3:12 to 14 it says, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul's mission was to strengthen the church. And that's why Timothy was selected to join him on this mission. He knew that if you, want, if you set out to build a church, you might not end up with disciples. But if you set out to make disciples, you will always end up with the church. And a strong one at that. How many of us here this morning are disciples? Or how many of us are here because it's what we do on a Sunday? That's a challenge. You see, when we choose to engage with God, when we pursue him in our day-to-day lives, we put ourselves in a position to be used powerfully in his service. Being saved is a work of God's grace. But being a disciple is a matter of choosing to cooperate with God, choosing to cooperate with His will for your life and for the strengthening of His church. Are you a disciple? Are you in a position this morning to be used by God? Are you ready to be released from your history? to engage with your destiny God is calling you this morning are you ready to respond the second principle in this piece of scripture is about showing grace to other believers as I mentioned earlier there seems to be a massive contradiction here when in verse 3 Paul circumcises Timothy. Bearing in mind he's just come back from Jerusalem where they've they've put the matter to bed. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. The, The Gentiles do not have to be circumcised and then the first thing Paul does is circumcise someone. This is the same Paul who refused to circumcise Titus in Galatians 2 and was in sharp opposition with those who taught that Gentiles must be circumcised a man who preached grace and not religious works. Why would he do it? Why would he do such a thing? Well, Paul wasn't being inconsistent at all. You see, the the word tells us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So God's given us these brains. God has given us logic. God has given us minds to use. And that's what he's doing here. See, he didn't circumcise Timothy in order to make sure that Timothy was saved. He did it because he loved the Jews. He took the risk of his actions being misunderstood because he wanted to make it clear for them. He wanted to make it easy for the Jews to hear his message. In Romans 14, 13-17, Paul expands on this idea when he was confronted with a similar situation about food laws and what laws believers are required to follow. He says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself... But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You could easily substitute that. You could say, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of rule following and laws and circumcision. It is of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's a principle here. And Paul is instructing the Roman church to do what he is modelling for us in Acts. He demonstrates that although we are free from the constraints of the law... We can better love our neighbours by opting, at times, to limit our freedom. To put it another way, we who live under grace are also called to live out grace. Just because we can do a thing, doesn't mean we always should. If I have a vegetarian in my house, I probably shouldn't be cooking up a bacon sandwich. You know, I can love bacon and I can love vegetarians, but actually sometimes I have to limit my freedom for the blessing of others, to remove a stumbling block for others. For example, when I chose what to wear this morning, I was totally free to turn up dressed as a clown. I mean, I wouldn't, but I could have turned up in the massive shoes, the, the big nose, the <laughs> one of those the big wig, and all of that stuff. But uh, if I'd done that, and I was totally free to, but if I had done that, I dare say it might have distracted a few people from hearing what I'm saying this morning. It would have distracted you from the preaching of the word. So, by choosing to limit my freedom and dress this way, I have removed a stumbling block. You see the principle? Romans 15 tells us that each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. If we're looking for an example, there is no better example than Christ. If Christ did not please himself and he clearly limited himself for our benefit, then that's something that we need to reflect in our lives as disciples. A few verses later, he goes on to say, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. As disciples of Jesus... We are called to accept each other as Christ has accepted us. Now, that does not mean if we see sin, we tolerate it. By no means. Jesus didn't do that. We are not called to do that. What it means is that we bear with one another in love. When when we encounter problems with our brothers or sisters. When, When I... I'm sure there have been times where I may have upset people in the room... I have fully apologized, and I thank you for bearing with me in love. You are my brothers and sisters, and I love you for that. Thank you. We're called to accept each other as Christ has accepted us. And as he has shown us so much grace, we are called to live out that grace and remove stumbling blocks for one another to help each other as we become more like Jesus. In house group this week, uh, we were looking at Ephesians, we're working through Ephesians in our house group, uh, and we were looking at Ephesians 4, verses 2 to 16. Um, One of my favourite bits of scripture this, I'll be honest, Uh, so I'm going to read it out for you now. Be completely humble and gentle, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. A little bit later on in that passage, it says, Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there with every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I could, just, I could have done nothing but stand here and read that passage. and that, It gets me. See, Paul's actions in Acts come from his desire for unity and maturity in the body. I love the way he describes the church uh, as a body. I find it deeply comforting because it acknowledges that we are all different. It means that even though I will never preach like Keith, I will never dance like Ben, I'll never play piano like Sharon, there's so many things I will never do. Even though... I will never write anything like like Luke has written. I'll never write anything that good. But there's a place for me in the body of Christ. God has called some to be hands and some to be feet. he's called you to be you. He's called me to be me. And he has called us to be in unity. He's called us. To be united in Christ. To be mature as disciples and to become like him. Amen? Amen. And when that happens, not only do we grow, not only do we mature, not only are we walking in our God-given identity, not only are we leaving our past and engaging with our eternity, we create more fertile ground for the gospel. And that is our main job. So principle three is about showing grace to unbelievers for the sake of the gospel. Hudson Taylor, I don't know if any of you have heard of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was an English missionary, uh, I cannot remember quite how long ago, but Aaron's smiling, so you probably know, don't you? No? Okay. But you know who, you know who Hudson Taylor is, right? Yes. Hudson Taylor was an English missionary who felt called to China. He was one of the first missionaries to go to inland China and bring the gospel. But when he got there, he found that the cultural differences between him and the rural Chinese natives were so large that they just could not receive his message. So despite the scandal it provoked back in England, Hudson made a drastic decision he decided to dress in traditional Chinese clothing to shave off most of his hair and dye what was left of his blonde hair jet black. This way, his appearance was much more acceptable to the locals and when he went back, they received the gospel of Christ. Hudson made a decision to do whatever he could to be culturally sensitive to those he was trying to reach, without compromising on Christian doctrine. And he did it for the sake of Christ. He did it because he was a disciple. He was actively engaging with what God had called him to do. So when we look back in Acts, at Timothy's circumcision... You see, we can see that it was not about agreeing with the necessity of uh, circumcision for salvation, but it was about removing a barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was about taking that stumbling block away. It was about cutting his hair and dyeing it black like Hudson Taylor. Timothy chose to undergo this painful procedure to glorify God by helping the Jews to see past their own legalism. It was an act of love. If we're looking for a better example, you can't go wrong with Jesus. There were so many times when Jesus rocked a boat. He went around flipping tables and speaking truth to power. But there were also plenty of times when he limited his freedom to open doors for the gospel to be heard. In Matthew 17, 24 to 27, we read this. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Jesus knew he did not need to pay the temple tax. After all, he was the son of God. So why on earth would he do it? Well, he knew that refusing to pay it would close a door. It was to close the door to sharing the gospel in the temple. So out of love and a desire for them to have a chance to receive the truth of the gospel and be saved, he paid that tax. Principle 4, there is a cost, but the reward is greater. If you've ever had to make concessions to someone, you know that it costs something. It might be money, it might be some small freedom, it may be your pride. In the case of Timothy, it cost him a painful procedure. (laughs) But he is no fool who exchanges what he cannot keep for what he cannot lose. When we live out God's grace and we bear with one another in love, when we choose to set aside our liberty for the sake of unity, when we pursue maturity instead of uniformity, then the value of that grace pays out in eternity. And when that happens, as in this morning's passage, we see that the result is a strengthened church and the growth of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, help us to be your disciples. Lord, give us the strength to leave behind our history and engage with our destiny. Help us to pursue you, Lord, with all our hearts. Lord, help us to bear with one another in love for the sake of unity. And not just just unity for the sake of unity, Father, unity for the sake of your kingdom. And Lord, as as we come together, help us to stay focused on you, Lord. Help us to grow in maturity. Let us walk in grace together and in our lives For the sake of the gospel, for your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Amen.